0: the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 584 for Saturday, December 19th,
1: 2015. Good Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's we're going to have to ask you to come in on Saturday edition of Mac Geek Gab, the show where the goal is to learn at least a few things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Harry's, where coupon shave five off saves you five bucks. Otherworld computing at MacSales.com with some great deals we'll tell you about. Linda at lynda.com slash MGG, where you get 10 days for free and our friends at Barebones Software at barebones.com, makers of the finely crafted BB edit here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton.
0: And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, still looking for my red stapler. This is John F. Braun. (laughs) That's right.
1: Yeah. uh, I say frio, John. It's it's uh, it. It got cold finally for me. Here.
0: yeah same here they said we may even get flurries today so it's getting towards freezing so yeah party's over yeah yeah my dad my dad's over in vermont had some
1: snow um and it i i you know i have this nest thermostat here in the studio and i got up really early this morning because we had a hockey game uh with my son that had like a 7 30 face off but um Well, when the game finished, I was like, oh, I got to set the thing. And so I set the schedule for the nest so that the heat would come on in the studio here. And when I came over, it wasn't on. I don't know. The the setting must not have stuck or whatever. But it's warming up in here. But, it's it's, you know, it's like 60 Fahrenheit, which is still cold. But, you know. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, so let's get this out of the way, John. Uh, and no, we're not going to give any spoilers, but have you seen the new Star Wars movie yet, John? Not yet. Okay. All right. I saw it with the family last night, and uh, and it, I highly recommend it. Um, uh, fan, absolutely fantastic. Really, really one of the best. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. So, yeah. Well, JJ, yeah, he knows what he's doing. He does. He does. I can't wait till you see it because I want to have a conversation with you about it. It's, um, it's, you know there's lots to discuss which is which is good that's that's um that's what these
0: movies are the, about the dark side is more powerful i think
1: yeah well now <laughs> not only do i want the next movie but i want to uh, i want this next star trek movie too because i
0: you know why not oh yeah i saw some previews for that that looks pretty uh mm-hmm. looks pretty good
1: Yep, and I'm also really excited. Uh, we just played a, a song in pre-show from the band Weather Report, but I'm really excited to watch the new Jocko movie about Jocko Pistorius, which is obviously has nothing to do with sci-fi, uh, unless you consider Jocko a Jedi of the bass guitar, and and I think there's an argument that can be made there. So, anyway, uh, let's see where we're at, John. We. Uh, you know, so last week we started, uh, sharing some quick tips, which is what we'll call them because we'll do this as a little segment, uh, kind of, uh, we've been, we've been doing cool stuff found every show recently. It was a nice thing to do during kind of the, the holiday buildup cause there was lots of stuff. Uh, we will now alternate, uh, quick tips with cool stuff found and quick tips are just these things that we do every day in our computing life, but not everybody does every day. And they're the kind of things that it's so easy to even forget that we do them. And that's uh, that, So that's why we want to share, because the point is to learn new things when we get together. Uh, so I will start with one of mine, and then we've got a couple from, uh, from you folks that sent them in. When you're taking a screenshot, we all know that you can do Command-Shift-4, and that takes a screenshot of your entire desktop, all the screens that you have, and saves them uh, to files, right? And that's great. And you can do command. Uh, sorry. command. Let's see. I'm already ahead of myself. Command shift three takes a screenshot of everything and saves it to a file. Command shift four lets you um, either draw. It'll give you crosshairs and you can either draw or you can hit the, the space bar to alternate the crosshairs into a camera, which takes a picture of whatever window you hover the mouse over, which is cool. But uh if you add the control key to either of those command shift three or command shift four, it will put the screenshot on the clipboard. And that's a really handy thing, especially for you folks that are sending in screenshots to us. Nothing uh, is handier than just doing, you know, a command shift three or, or command control shift three or four, depending on whether you want to show us the whole screen or just a part of it. And then you just paste it into your email that you send to feedback at Mac and you're good to go. It's uh it's how it works. So that's, that's mine to share for today. And uh, do you have anything to add to that one, John, or is it, uh, is it time to move on to Larry's quick tip?
0: I do. And I'm looking for it. Okay. I found an article on it. There's also a way you can set the, uh, uh, you have to do some uh, mysterious uh, terminal stuff here, or you could use uh, uh, a couple of different utilities here. But there is a way to also set the format of the screenshot. Cool. Um, what comes out ha- out here? Let's see. I think it's oh, okay. Well, it's pretty simple here. So default space right space com dot apple dot screen capture space type. Space and then I see one example here that's JPEG. I think I actually have mine set for uh, for PNG. I, I believe they're PNG by default in OS X right now. But and I think you can also. I think you can set J. Uh, I think you can set JPEG. I think GIF and uh, TIFF cool as well, depending on what you like. So, uh, so yeah. So I'll link to a quick one. Yeah, I default to PNG because I think that's the nicest format. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: All right. And then Larry uh, writes, he says, uh, when you update a multi-user Mac to a new OS, make sure you sign into all of the user accounts after the update completes. I updated to 1011.2 from 1011.1, but did not sign into my wife's account immediately on the machine. I could not complete a time machine backup until I had signed into her account. Seems the update does not completely finish until after all the user accounts are signed in. It took a lot of console and Google searches to solve this problem. Time machine would just get stuck and would not complete until I had logged into all of the accounts on the machine. Very interesting, Larry. I've also found that it's handy after any kind of updates like that to make sure you launch mail, especially if you have a large mail archive because, uh, it's going to need, you know, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times it's going to need to go through and kind of clean through the, uh, the mail database anyway. So yeah, great tip, man. That's what these, that's what it's about. And, uh, and Graham, well, Graham just, uh, he takes the cake because Graham has, I believe seven tips to share. So here we go. Uh, number one, he says, these are things that he gives to his clients who are just getting started with their new Macs. So, Uh, number one is turn on the secondary click on the mouse mouse or trackpad, and then demonstrate, right? So, you know, we can control click on things. You can assign that. And it is assigned by default to, uh, to Apple's devices with a, you know, on the trackpad, it's a a two finger click and, and that sort of thing. So very, very handy. Uh, he says, turn on go into system preferences general and turn on the always show for the scroll bars. He says everybody that I work with gets frustrated by disappearing scroll bars and some get very confused because without a scroll bar, there's no visual cue that the window has more scrollable content. And it's true, man. That's one that I have on on all my machines and I would never think to suggest it because it's just automatic. So perfect. Uh, He says he likes to demonstrate full screen mode to people, not so that they can use it, but so that they know what it is and how to get out of it if they find themselves there. And let's see. We'll uh, we'll finish these up. Command tab with the to use the application switcher again. This is a thing we all use every day. This is a great start to this segment because these are just these foundational things. Command and tab lets you switch applications. And if you hold down the shift key while you're on command and tab, uh, or if you if you hit command tab and keep the command key down, you can hit tab to go from app to app. If you hold down the shift key, it goes the other direction. If you hit Q, it will quit the app over which you are hovering. So fun stuff uh this is one that with great power comes great responsibility john he recommends showing people how to do a hard shutdown by holding the power button for five seconds uh sometimes it's a little more than five but the the you're right yeah you hold down the power button until it turns off this is not something you want to do unless it is the only thing you have left but If it is the only thing you have left, very handy to know that you can do it so that you don't have to call someone for help if your computer's truly locked up. Uh, Print to PDF from any print dialog. That's a handy thing. Uh, He says Windows user converts can't believe how simple it is. And lastly, using image capture to scan from your scanner rather than the crappy bloatware provided by printer manufacturers. And he's right. Image capture works with most Scanners, not all of them, but most. So thank you, Graham. Thank you, Larry. And please do send those in to us because we'll we'll, we'll include these every couple of weeks. Um uh, just to kick things off with the show. Right? Good stuff. Fantastic. Lantastic is what I like to say, John. But that uh that sends us back days and days and days. All right. And and many days, years, Lantastic. I don't even do they are they still in business? I don't know. It was a good name. That's about it. Douglas writes, In episode 581, you talked a little bit about using Facebook or Twitter credentials to log into another site. I'm a little unclear on one thing. When I agree to log into another site using my Facebook account info, is the site I'm logging in able to see my actual username and password, or does it go through the Facebook site for verification only with the new site having access to this information or without the new site, having access to this information. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's the latter Douglas. It, it, um, and, and there's a protocol called O author open authentication where what happens is you get a token back from, uh, from the, the authentication provider in this case, Facebook that says, yeah, this person's authorized, but uh, it's not, it, it's not your password. It's a unique token for just that particular authorization for you into that app that time. And that's how this is done. And it keeps your, your, you know, Facebook data safe. Now, when you do that authentication the first time, sometimes Facebook will come up and, and, and Google does this too, right? Because Google offers an, an OAuth thing and lots of people do as we said, Twitter does as well. Um, it will come up and tell you, Hey, look, Whoever you're logging in to is asking not only to have us be your login credentials, but they're also asking to see your email address or post to your wall. Right. I mean, you know, with Facebook, you can ask for all of these things, but you as the user have the the opportunity to accept or decline these additional features, if you will, that uh, that whatever service you're using is is asking for, but that'll be presented clearly on the screen. Just make sure you read the screen and you don't just, you know, treat it like an end user license agreement and click through, but you'll be in good shape. All good.
0: Thoughts, my friend. And I've seen, um, there's a, a comment or a discussion service, a uh, disc quiz. Yeah. Yes, Discus, I, yeah. Discuss. Discus. Yeah. Discuss. Oh, that's how you say I w- it. I would assume that's how you say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disqu- yeah. Yeah, I've seen that too. Um, you know, which will, uh, so it's a discussion system that revolves around using, uh, from what I can see, either a Facebook or a Twitter login. So yeah,
1: stuff. right. It'll log in. It, you can log in to discuss, discuss whatever it is with Facebook or with uh their own credentials just like we have at tmo you can log into tmo with our credentials or your tmo credentials or facebook or twitter you want to uh you want to take us on to mark john yeah here's a mysterious one i was I gonna i was nuts. gonna bring this up last week and forgot so i'm glad you you uh that you saw this question from mark so
0: yeah go ahead well, i want to solve it so Same. um <sighs> So Mark says uh, simple question. Where'd uh what happened to keychain uh keychain ass- access uh first aid? <laughs> uh it's keychain first aid. Yeah. Well, but it's That's in it was in keychain not- access, yeah. Yeah, and it's weird. I don't <laughs> I got to figure if there's a secret way to, to reactivate it or run it. And I, I tried a few different things. So, so let the me the let is, me let me
1: explain here. Um as of 10.11.2 and and it, this did not happen prior, the Keychain Access app that is in 10.11.2 no longer has the option to run Keychain First Aid in either the Keychain Access menu or the window menu. It has been in both places over the years. Apple's knowledge base article which when i checked the other day i haven't i didn't check today um uh, was last updated in february and it said to find it in the window menu i don't even think that was correct in february i think it has been in the keychain access menu but regardless it is not there now and no uh we we tried this cuz brian chaffin here at tmo was having trouble with with his keychain and he needed to repair it and there you know we tried option key and launch with this and you know hold your mouth just right and and you know, sacrifice to the sun gods or whatever it was, nothing worked. Um, we did not try using the force on it, John, but, uh, but otherwise we tried
0: everything. And I was hoping there was a way to, to run it. Maybe if you, if you try to run, um, the app from the command line and then provide, uh, mm-hmm. an argument. Uh, but I wasn't able to, uh, a lot, a lot of things. If you, if you try to run them from the command line and you just, uh, Enter them, they sometimes will give you a list of options or you may have to ask for them. Yeah. So, you know, if you run a program space and a lot of times it's, you know, dash H for help or, or something similar, it'll list, you know, oh, well, you know, if, if you uh, enter this when you run me, then I'll, I'll do these extra nice things for you. But uh, Keychain uh, Access doesn't do that. Now, what's funny, Dave, is that if you go to the help in Keychain Access, which, you know, you go to Keychain access help. uh, And then there's a troubleshooting category. And it says, if you have a problem with keychains and you know what it tells you to do, it tells you to run keychain first aid. Absolutely. And the knowledge (laughs) base article, which
1: I'll put in the show notes still says do this. It was last updated February 13th of this year. So,
0: yeah. And the other thing that I noticed is that if you open up the, uh, the package, there's still something in there, Dave called keychain first aid dot strings, which is, uh, uh, Resource that uh, allegedly contains the strings that are used by the keychain uh, first aid function, and that's still in there. So I don't know. if Somebody just blew it and made a mistake. Uh, it, people were all indications it. are that it's still. It, all indications are that it should still be there.
1: <laughs> if you look in the developer forums, people were reporting it in the betas of ten eleven two as well. So this, I mean, which is not surprising, but but the fact that it was reported there, I would have to assume Apple pays some attention to the developer forums, uh, but uh, it was missing there and, and no word, you know, no word came back that, that I know of. Uh, so yeah, it it's weird though, because I get that Apple, you know, I mean, it, it, it's one thing to take away repair permissions because, and, and there's some reasoning behind that, uh, which we've discussed, but, keychain first aid It's like well this stuff i mean we're still we're users we're still touching our keychains constantly as our sync services it's like uh i think we still kind of want this i think it's a mistake
0: i hope i'm convinced there's a way to activate it i just gotta we just have to figure it out so
1: yeah well i'm i uh i haven't found one and i haven't found anyone that has but if anybody out there knows man this is you know the ultimate geek challenge. So, and if you're one of the listeners who, who works at Apple and, and you can flip the switch to turn it back on, well then, you know, you win the geek challenge. So there's, there's that. And you can take great satisfaction in that. And, and knowing that you, you helped us that warm, fuzzy feeling that that sits right where it needs to. I don't know where that is, but anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, we shall see. Hey, uh, I want to take a minute, John, and talk about our first two sponsors here, if that's okay with you. Very good. All right. Our first sponsor today is Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. They're one of my favorite companies in our industry because they know what they're doing and they care about getting you the right stuff. They even have their own lab there where they test stuff both before they send it out and if. There happens to be a problem where they test it when it comes back. They understand what they're doing and they're obsessive about it. They also understand that they need to sell you stuff at a good price. I went through and I found a couple of things. Their newer tech power to you starts at 19 bucks, right? This is a replacement for your electrical outlet. And it gives you two electrical outlets, as you would expect. Plus two USB ports starts at 19 bucks. This thing's great. You can charge an iPad with it at full speed, or you can split the uh, power between the two ports and charge two iPhones simultaneously. Works really well. Fully UL listed. It's safe. 19 bucks is where it starts. They also sell used computers there. You want a MacBook Pro? At the moment, while I'm looking, this changes all the time because it's used stuff, so they don't have unlimited inventory. Less than 350 bucks for a mid-2010 at MacBook Pro. That's pretty good. You want a MacBook? Less than 200 bucks for those. You got to check this out. iMacs starting at 149 as I'm looking at this. Got to go to the website, MacSales.com, check it out. But man, if you can get an iMac for the kitchen, that's an awesome price. They also have a cool thing. I've talked a lot about their drive adapters, their newer tech universal drive adapter and their Voyager that lets you put bare hard drives connected right to your computer They've got their new OWC drive dock. It's a dual bay solution. It's got two bays, Thunderbolt 2, it's USB 3. Each bay can hold two and a half or three and a half inch discs. And each bay has a separate power supply. So if you want to unmount one drive and spin it down while you put a new drive in, the other one doesn't have to come offline to do it. You got to check all this out. MaxSales.com. That's Otherworld Computing. Thanks so much to Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this episode. Harry's.com has actually made me enjoy shaving. I enjoy the process of it and I enjoy the results. They sell fantastic quality razors at a really affordable price. Probably half of what I would expect to spend if I was going to the pharmacy or heaven forbid I go to some specialty shop, then it's probably you know a quarter of what I'd spend there. This stuff is fantastic. Really, really smooth, easy shave, beautiful handles for their razors, no matter which one you get. And you can start at 15 bucks and that's retail. You're a Mac Geek listener. You don't pay retail. Use the coupon code shave five off to save five bucks so you can actually start with a handle, either shaving cream or shaving gel and three blades for 10 bucks. I was going to say 15, but you know, shave five off. 10 bucks shipped to you for free. That's the Truman set. If you want something that's a little nicer, they actually have the winter Winston set, which comes with a copper handle and all the rest of the stuff. It's gorgeous. You got to check it out and it's limited edition. That's 30 bucks retail. You don't pay retail. So it's 25 for you. New blades, all of that stuff. You can order it right there online. They make it super, super easy. One thing I'm really happy about is Harry's now has a travel kit. I got to be honest. As much as I love shaving with Harry's, it was too easy for me to just take my old electric razor on trips with me. Well, now with Harry's travel kit, I don't have to do that anymore. It makes it really easy to tighten all the stuff together, pack it in my suitcase. I can bring it with me and I can enjoy having a nice shave even when I'm not in my own house. Hotel room, that kind of thing works great. You got to check this all out. Go to harry's.com and then make sure you use coupon code SHAVE the number five OFF that's S H A V E five O F F. five off—that saves five bucks off your first order. Our thanks to Harry's for sponsoring this episode. And with that, John, I want to go to Ken because this, this is sort of the opposite of what we were talking about last week. Ken updated to El Capitan and, uh, and he says it went just fine with one serious exception. Mail.app started using immense, quantities of RAM and would eventually crash. He says with testing, the problem was identified as my office's exchange account. Mail would work fine for my Gmail account and fine for my iCloud account. But if the exchange account hosted by Microsoft in the cloud at office 365.com was active, while it might bring in new mail on open, it would typically crash within the first minute or so. And while it might stay open on subsequent startups of the app, it would not bring in any new mail. Peculiarly, although the text that he talked with never indicated they had any, that this had any, any significance, the activity window in mail when open would show the getting mail bar full, but no progress was ever made. And the process never completed, at least not to the point where the progress bars in the activity window would go away like normal. He talks about how he spent all kinds of time with Apple on the phone and Microsoft on the phone with all of them pointing at each other, um, We went through a couple of things. Actually, we didn't go through a couple of things. There are a couple of things I would go through here to troubleshoot this. The first would be simply removing the account from mail and adding it back in. But um, in that process, Office 365 lets you connect in two different ways. You can connect as Ken is with Exchange, and that's one protocol. And, of course, they support that because Exchange is a Microsoft protocol. But you can also connect to Office 365, with imap just straight imap and uh and in fact microsoft even has a support article that explains how to do that that solved this for ken better to say it worked around this for ken it's it's not the solution if you for whatever reason want to use exchange but it certainly solved it for him and he gets his mail and uh reliably and without it crashing or using up gobs and gobs and gobs of ram So. that was the solution here. I, I'm curious, though, if perhaps deleting that account and re, just re-adding it as an exchange account would also have solved this problem. There are caches in mail that uh, on the Mac, when you delete the account, they go away. And so that might be something here. There could have been some damage in a plist file or something uh, in, you know, kind of in the settings for that account. So that's but it worked. Removing it and readding it as IMAP worked. I think it might have worked if he removed it and readded it as Exchange, but uh, but he wanted to be safer than Sariya and, and didn't really lose any functionality that he cared about going that way. So. it's interesting stuff, man.
0: Yeah, I've, and, and we've we've had that come up in the past is um, just disabling mail for. Just disabling mail and then turning it back on again is not sufficient to clear up a lot of uh especially mail crashes. You actually have to wipe it you know use the uh minus sign in the uh, internet accounts or, or in the mail uh, configuration screen when you set up the accounts. You actually have to get rid of it yep and like you said it it uh, it clears out some uh cruft that caused it to uh to crash yep yep
1: all right. We have uh, we have some other interesting troubleshooting stuff as always, and I'm looking for listener John because he says I have a problem that's been with me for a few months. Whenever I try to back up my iPad Air two to my iTunes library, it errors out with a message that says iTunes could not back up because the iPad disconnected. I've been hoping for some magic fix in either OS ten iTunes or iOS since. August, but it's been a consistent problem. Of course, the device is not physically disconnecting. I've tried four different lightning cables and both USB ports. I've tried it with and without a USB hub. Other USB devices have no issues. Also, previous iPhone 5 and now an iPhone 6S have no problems syncing with iTunes. This has been doing this uh, since some version of iOS 8 and macOS 1010X all the way through uh, the updates to the latest iOS 1011 and iTunes versions. One interesting thing, if I hit sync, it pops up this message within a few seconds. But if I hit OK, it actually continues and finishes the sync. However, if I hit backup, it pops up the error. I hit OK and it's done, but I have no backup. The last successful backup was August 14th. So it worked for the first eight months or so of ownership. No, I haven't dropped it. And there was no trigger in the middle of August that I know of. All right. So this is interesting because it's obviously not having trouble communicating with the device if it can do a sync. The beginning of the sync, if it needs to, will trigger a backup. So that's what you're seeing is that you're getting this error anytime it tries to back up. Thankfully, even though it's having an error when you back up, it's still able to continue through and sync. I think the error message is misleading. In fact, I know it is because it's not disconnected and nor does the system actually think it's disconnected. I think your backup for that device is corrupted. If, and it's trying to write to it and having some error and it's just throwing up a dialogue, whatever dialogue it can kind of make sense of, but, uh, but it's not making sense. But if you go into iTunes, go into preferences, go to devices, you'll see a list of all your backups there, right? Click on what appears to be the active backup for that device. The one from August and choose archive. The nice part about doing archive is it doesn't delete it, but it also moves it out of the way and, essentially tells iTunes, we don't have a current backup for this one that you're supposed to update, go create a brand new backup for this. And it renames it and actually gives the old one a, a date and time of, of the archive. It's very, very handy, but that I think that'll do it for you. And it's a handy way to troubleshoot without blowing everything away. So that's, that's my thoughts on that one. What do you think, John?
0: I'm curious. Yeah, I think I'm with you. The, 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 yeah, it probably is a corrupt thing. I'm curious if when you hook it up to iTunes, um, if it shows a recent iCloud backup. I don't think he's backing up to iCloud. I, I, I think I think he's
1: got too much stuff. He says, uh, yeah, in fact, later in the email, he says, I suppose I could back up to iCloud, but I don't have enough free space there without paying the iCloud real estate tax. Yeah. So, Ooh. yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a lot of people that, you know, don't have, just don't have enough space on iCloud for multiple devices to do backups with five, five gigs. Isn't enough for, mo- for most things. So,
0: yeah. I mean, the only other thought was that, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like it could be. And I think this was uh, the suspicion as well. It does sound like a hardware issue, but you know, he, he said, he you know, tried different cables and different ports and stuff like that. Um, just wondering you know if there's any cruft in the connector there because i've I've had weird behavior like that uh, with uh syncing my device, yeah and uh clearing clearing whatever fuzz or whatever that get gets stuck in the uh in my humble opinion poorly designed lightning port. Uh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're they're especially Well, with an iPad, that's less likely than a phone, which, you know, you just put in your pocket with all the lint. But yeah, it's I mean, it's a lightning port. So, yep, it can get just when you're going to clean it out. Use a wooden or plastic toothpick. Do not use a metal paperclip because (laughs) I don't know. I mean, people have and it works fine, but it's like playing the game operator. Right. You got to be really careful that or operation, I should say. Uh, You got to be really careful going in there that, you know, you don't touch the sides with with your metal thing and short something that you don't want to short. You don't want to let the magic smoke out. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, While we're on the subject of iTunes backups, Bob has a related question. He says, uh, I've got an iMac with a 256 gig SSD and multiple external drives where I store my iTunes and photo photos libraries and some documents on my home drive i just have os 10 10 11 2 and apps but with multiple ios devices the mobile sync folder where the backups are stored has filled to the point where i cannot back up my new ipad pro i thought i could just move this backup folder to an external drive and use an alias to it but itunes just shows an error and would not back up at all Any ideas on how I can relocate these backups to free up my OS drive? Yeah, this is one of those things that Apple should really let you do in the interface. Uh, You were really, really close, Bob, with doing it with an alias. Unfortunately, an alias doesn't work, but a symbolic link, which for all intents and purposes to us humans, looks and acts just like an alias. A symbolic link is what you need. Um, I'll put an article in the show notes from uh, from our friends at DigiDNA, the makers of iMazing, that explains how to relocate this folder. You do have to do some stuff in the terminal, and uh, but it's not that bad. Um, really, what you're doing is moving the backups folder to your external drive by copying it there and then deleting it from your local drive. And then... You make, an, in, in this case, a symbolic link, which is very much like an alias. You just have to do a terminal command to create it instead of doing it in the finder. And you point the folder on the external drive to the location where it previously existed on your Mac's boot drive. And, and then the, the, the OS honestly has no idea that it's not just filling the backups folder on your boot drive. It just happens to be linking it elsewhere. So that's the trick. That's the trick. that's my trick anyway. Have you done this john? i I've done this the, I have my backup stored externally because i you know I don't want to it of course I, so i I run um my current machine and my last machine actually has a five twelve gig sSD in it and um and then I've got connected actually it's a Seagate backup plus with uh four terabytes external connected to the machine. And, uh, it's connected via USB three and I've got it partitioned so I can do my clones on that thing. And then I also just have, yeah, I think I have a one terabyte partition where I'm doing clones and, and some other stuff. And then, uh, and that way it has plenty of room for carbon copy cloners, uh, whatchamacallit, the, the, the safety net, which is good. And then, uh, and then I just have three terabytes of wide open space and my iTunes, um, Mobile backup folder lives over there now. And I'd have a symbolic link. It's exactly what we're talking about here. Works great. And then, you know, that way you're not messing with your SSD when you're doing that.
0: Yeah. yeah, never never thought of doing that. Yeah. Because yeah, I got plenty of space on this machine. So yeah. I got a one terabyte. But um though it is interesting. You may ask yourself, where are my backups? How do you know? Um, and actually, here's a little quick tip here. So there are a few things that you can do in iTunes. So if you go to the, uh, and it's in the same area, but, but to add a little to what you said before, Dave, sure. so if you go to uh, iTunes preferences devices, you're going to see the backups for your device. And there are a few other things you can do in this window. One, if you hover over a backup and wait a few moments, it will then show you all sorts of fun additional data about the device. So, for example, I hover over uh, John F. Braun's iPhone 6S, and it'll show me, if I hover my uh, cursor over that, it'll say, oh, well, here's your phone number, here's your IMEI, which uh, you may need if you're having phone problems. There's the MEID, which is another you know, serial number type of value. And then I think there's a final value there, but also if you, uh, oh, and the serial number of the device, too. So, uh, so hovering over the backup shows you additional information, Then, as, as you suggested. So if you right-click on a backup, there are a few options. Now, you mentioned, of course, there's the uh, archive option or the delete option. Well, there's also show in Finder in case you want to see where the backups are actually
1: stored. Oh, yeah, good point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it.
0: And then it brings it up in the Finder. And, you know, if you uh, click on the place that it brings you in the Finder uh and here's another kind of quick tip so if you see a folder at the top of a window in the finder and you i believe it's option click on it it will show you the hierarchy of where things are buried because for example you know when i say show me where my backups are well it shows me a folder called backup it's like okay well well where's that well yeah where's that yeah exactly well it's actually in so then you hold down the option key so it's actually in my home folder library application support mobile sync backup it's actually where it lives. You know, so you that's, a, that's a handy to to thing.
1: I always, I, for whatever reason, I seem to have a mental block in remembering where that is. I mean, I know it's in home library and then it's like, is it in application support or is it somewhere else? And I, for whatever reason, I can never remember this. I remember everything else, right? You know, but not, I remember like the VIN number of my first car, but I can't remember this. But this is great because this, yeah, I don't have to. I can just go into iTunes and do show and finder and it'll bring me there. And now I know where it is. I like it. It's good. Uh, all right. Well, well, time for some El Capitan stuff. I think John, Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, I. you know, before we get into this, I, I want to say for, for me, at least on the two devices, actually I'm running it on, on many, uh, the family's all running it on theirs uh, the machines they use, but on the two that I, on two, on the two El Capitan machines I have, I still haven't upgraded the studio to El Capitan. I'll probably do that sometime, you know, after CES late January, I always wait on this because with audio hardware, I have no rush. Right. Uh, but, uh, on the two machines that I'm running it on my, my MacBook air and my retina iMac. It's fantastic. It's been like smooth sailing. Mail has been reliable, uh, it doesn't have these weird lags anymore. It's been panacea for me, you know. And I should find some wood to knock on here because I I know what that what that's like. But that doesn't mean that you folks aren't having issues with it. And and obviously we're here to help. But uh, but I did just want to point out that you know with all my kvetching about what I went through with Yosemite, that El Capitan truly has been fantastic. But that doesn't that that fact doesn't help Bill.
0: I've had a little, uh, some weirdness. So I haven't had kernel panics. I did under, uh, you know, and I think most were related to uh, to the Wi-Fi uh, in Yosemite. So I haven't had a kernel panic. The only weird thing, I uh, I think I've had it happen twice, and I'm not sure if it's the OS or if it's something that I installed, but I've had like one or two situations where I just get blown out of the OS and back to the login screen. And I'm like, wow, uh, how how did I get here? I don't think I hit any key combination that logged me out, though I think there is one if you want to do that. I think there's a keyboard shortcut to do that, but yeah, all of a sudden I'm, you know, I see, you know, my the login and a and a password prompt, and I'm like, okay, and I do that, and and it's like, you know, I'm logging in again. You know, it loads all my, uh, you know, it's a reloading all my, uh, you know, things in the the menu bar and stuff like that. I've only had it happen once or twice, and I think one time. I think it was after an OS update. I rebooted my machine and I got uh, vertical bars, alternating vertical bars, black and white. And it just sat there. And that's a situation where I actually had to use the tip that was given earlier, which is the hold down the power button for five seconds. Right. <laughs> uh, but then I restarted and everything was was ducky. So. Um, yeah, but also I'll say, yeah, a lot more stable. No, no, no kernel panics. That's good. And you know, I've had, uh, have you ever had that? But I, I have had that rarely uh, on different versions of OS X where it just blows you out to the, no. just blows I you mean, out I've, of the
1: OS. I've seen it, but, but not with any frequency or, or regularity. No, that's, um, that's, that's frightening. I mean, it's what that is, I believe is Windows server dying. Um, I, I believe that's what that is, but that, I mean, it doesn't mean it's
0: good but that's what it is you know what it could be also now it's funny i actually read this one uh, a twitter account and it's actually kind of funny i don't know if you follow it uh swift on security no but i'll put a link in the show notes well it's basically uh you know it has a a picture of uh, taylor swift and uh and it's an account that so it's uh, you know of course it's not Really, Taylor Swift giving you uh, IT security tips, but uh, but that account actually linked to a report that showed that RAM-based errors um, occur more frequently than you may think. Huh. And I'm wondering if that was what caused you know something like that, a RAM error that it just you know decided, well, I'll blow you out to the <laughs> login screen. Huh. I have to d- dig up that report, but it was it was quite. Um, it happens a lot more, and it could explain a lot of the weird things that we see happen. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, of course. Is that RAM is, is not perfect, even with you know error correction and stuff, which I think typically Apple does not use error correction, or That's right. they don't like you using uh, RAM with, I think it's ECC error correction code or something like that. I think they specifically say you really shouldn't, or they don't recommend that you use that type of memory in uh, in uh, Macs. That's it. Yeah, I believe it. I mean,
1: yeah. Huh.
0: I have to find that report. It was good stuff. Kind of scary actually.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's um Bill had it, I actually and you know, what's funny is the problem that Bill described is one that I had. He was trying to share some folders in uh OS 10's file sharing. So he goes into system preferences, goes to sharing, goes to file sharing, turns it on, and then clicks to add a folder and it lets him go and navigate. And he hits add and nothing appears in the preference pane. And he hits add again and nothing appears in the preference pane. Well, I went to test this like that shouldn't happen. And I went to test it and sure enough, I did it with four folders. Nothing appeared. So I posted to our Facebook group about this and uh, several people replied And I don't have it open and I can't tell you which one, but you should join our Facebook group. And then, you'd know, go to Mac slash Facebook. That'll bring you there. And you'll, you'll see all this stuff. And, and yeah, like even, even we asked for help, right? Because it's why, why not? We have a great community of folks and we're all here helping each other. And, uh, it was, it took, you know, maybe an hour for somebody to say, Oh yeah, I've seen that before. Quit system preferences, come back in and all the options will be there. And sure enough, the four folders that I had added were right there. So, uh, it must be just a UI weirdness, I, you know, or maybe some PLIST file. I don't know. It persisted. I mean, it, it saved the things. I had to go and remove them because I didn't actually want to share those four folders that I had put in there. But, uh, but it worked out. So Bill was also hmm. having some other weird issues. But he, I think Bill was trying to share a network folder as well. I think he was having this issue plus... He was trying to share a network folder, which you can't do. You can share external drives. You can share internal drives. You can share subfolders of, of the, the aforementioned. But you cannot share network folders because if they're network folders, another computer should be able to get to them. And that's the, that's the logic there. But, uh, but yeah, it was just you know weird stuff. So there you go. I have had one issue. I'm sure I've had more than one issue with El Capitan but generally it's been working out interesting stuff. And uh, moving on to Larry, Larry has some questions about how to get to El Capitan. He says, I've been waiting a little bit to install it on my early 2008 Mac pro. It was running fine with Yosemite. And I just wanted some of the features of El Capitan. Now, ever since installing it for a day, It's been running very slow and I'm getting a ton of spinning color beach balls of death. The machine kind of died on me a few months back. And since I had just recently upgraded the graphics cards so I can run Final Cut, I had the machine repaired. It was surprisingly only a few hundred bucks and I got a bigger hard drive out of it. It has six gigs of RAM in it, so I have four empty. I found a reasonable deal on some excellent RAM totaling 16 gigs. Should I try that and get another year out of the computer and upgrade my RAM, I'm really not anxious to get a new computer right now. My laptop, my iPhone, and my iPad serve me very well, but I do like having the desktop for the heavy lifting stuff. There used to be a time in, uh, when the day AppleCare expired, I was immediately buying a new machine, but this one has just been so reliable. And mind you, it was an AppleCare replacement for a Power Mac G4 that was replaced under AppleCare. If I buy a new Mac Pro, my only option is the new uh, Black Tower, of course. And that means shelling out three grand. I already have a 22 inch monitor that I'm very happy with any suggestions. Maybe I should try a clean install. And, uh, and then actually Larry went back to Yosemite and says it's running way slow on that machine on, on, on that now. So here's, here's the, and and he asked, okay, so what's going on? So here's the thing. Um, Ram, Ram will always help. It's never a bad idea to put more Ram in a machine. Uh, However, and we've said this a few times on the show, and John, you might actually disagree with me. Actually, I don't know where you fall on this. But um, with Yosemite and El Capitan, my feeling is an SSD is going to serve you way better than RAM will. Again, it's not that RAM is bad or even useless. It's not. It's very useful. But I think the issues you're seeing are twofold. Number one, Yosemite and El Capitan really... Uh, in our experience here, are not engineered to be efficient on. There's been no optimizations done to them to make them work well for on spindle drives. It doesn't mean that they won't. It's just that Apple's sort of kind of moved past that. I I think they haven't told us this, obviously, but but that's that's certainly been our experience and and the experience that you folks have shared. So an SSD is, is what these OSs are kind of. That's the target for for these additionally and again because you're on a spindle drive you have now put two os's on this drive right and so things are very fragmented out there especially if the drive was full so you're trying to you know you put el capitan on that's a lot of new data that's been kind of jumbled around on this drive and then you put yosemite back again a lot of new data it's you're not running the same yosemite that you used to you can solve this. You can defragment your drive. OS 10 does some level of defragmentation. I think that whole hot files thing is still there in Yosemite and Mavericks, but maybe, or sorry, Yosemite and El Capitan, but maybe it's not. I, I don't know if, if hot file management is still there, which was Apple's sort of loose or, or lightweight uh, defragmentation. It would, it would do some files, but you can use something like, like drive genius 4 now has a, uh, a a defragmenter in it and you can, you can run that or you can clone the drive off to something else and clone it back. And that sort of has a de facto defragmenting effect because you're, you know, wiping out the drive and just putting files back on it. But I, I think the fragmentation of your drive is what you're seeing. And you also have to remember when you put a new OS on a drive, it can take, especially on a, a spindle drive where it takes longer to do read and write operations It can take a day or two for everything, you know, certainly a a day or an overnight for everything to all the, you know, new spotlight indexes and mail indexes and all of that stuff to finish building. So um, I think an SSD would serve you very well on that machine is 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 where I'm going with this. RAM's not bad. Put it in if you've got it. But I think you'll see more of a difference out of an SSD.
0: Mr. Braun. I'm wondering. Uh no, I I I looked this up. I actually got to see if the, the, this may be an optional command here, but I actually did find a reference to hot file clustering and and uh further in the are it, it, there's an article that suggests a command you can run to uh see which files have been uh clustered if you will. But I don't have it's something called hfs debug. I I think I may have to uh install that uh that may be part of the developer tools or something. Okay. But I do have an article that said, uh, uh, who who wrote this here? It's a OS 10. Oh, well, it was a, a book written in 2004.
1: Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that hot file clustering uh, has been active for, for several OSs. I'm doing some quick Google searching. I didn't do this research ahead of the show, but uh, it seems there's people reporting that kind of since snow leopard, it's been, you know, use less i'm not convinced of that i thought it was pretty active in snow leopard but um but wouldn't surprise me if it was gone now again you know i just i just don't think it's being engineered the os's are being engineered for that
0: that's i don't know i mean the only thing i'd suggest for slowdowns you may want to uh uh, fire up onyx or maintenance uh yeah it's, it's little brother um Specifically, there's a cleaning section, and there's there's a system in a user area, um, and that basically deletes some caches. You you may have some stale or old caches, so uh, cleaning some of those out may uh, may speed things up. A corrupt or bad cache can always uh, uh, could cause slowdowns. Absolutely, my suggestion. That's true. Yeah, although you know, a new OS should
1: start with fresh caches. I mean, one of the, one of the things is the cache folders are, are literally wiped out during a, or just simply not populated. You should, but that's the thing is should, right? I don't know. I don't know. That's my feeling. SSD. If you, if you, so I, I, just to kind of wrap this one up, John, I want to ask you a, a question. And when we're looking for, you know, a relatively quick answer, um, is if, if in Larry's case would you recommend ram first or ssd first
0: hmm. I'd say I'd say an ssd
1: yeah
0: all right good sweet so we we're,
1: we're in agreement here on this one all right i well, want cuz to- oh, if ahead. you
0: just because if you don't have enough RAM, you're gonna swap, but the thing is an SSD will make everything faster, including swapping. So uh yeah, so I, I would I would say overall you're you're gonna get better if you had to choose between the two what to spend money on, I would I would say an SSD would yeah. uh would uh unless you're you have a pathetically small amount of RAM, like you know, two gigs or four gigs or something. Hey man, I'm a
1: running range. four gigs in a twenty eleven MacBook Air. And huh. with it, with an SSD though, I mean it. You know that's the important part. And I don't, I don't think I notice the fact that it's what I would consider light on RAM because four gigs is you know light on RAM. But uh, but I can't upgrade it at least not without you know a soldering iron. Probably I should look, I should look into that and see if anybody's kind of figured out a simple upgrade, or maybe I should just get a new Air.
0: So. Well, I thought some of the Airs it's like a E is it a, a E satter or some. I thought some of them you, you could. You can upgrade the SSD on oh, some of them, yes. but not, not oh, the but RAM. Oh, not the RAM. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, the days of updating RAM are, are over. Are over, yeah. <laughs> or user right. serviceable RAM right. are, are over. Right.
1: All right. I want to talk about our second batch of sponsors here, John, if that's okay with you. Splendid. All right. BBEdit is a piece of software that I use literally every day. I'll use it as soon as we finish this episode to clean up the chapter markers and the show notes before putting those in. And then, of course, John takes them from there and also uses BB Edit to lovingly handcraft the rest of the show notes with the timings and all of that great stuff. BB Edit makes all of this stuff really easy. It can be as geeky or not geeky as you want it to be. Geeky stuff, of course, includes coding things like HTML or stuff that's even far geekier than that. I use it for PHP all the time. You can use it to code JavaScript. You can use it to code CSS. It's smart enough to know what language you're in and starts highlighting the text in appropriate ways. It doesn't change the text. The text on the disk or on your server remains clean, but it highlights it visually just for you while you're editing. Makes life super easy. You can also do word counts. Character counts, all of that stuff. Here's the thing for a limited time, you can get BB Edit for $39.99. It's normally $49.99, right? It's normally $50. Now you can get it for $40. Part of their Winterfest 2015 discount. There's a, actually a promotion from many app vendors that uh, have partnered together to do this. You don't have to do anything special. Just go to barebones.com, go to the store, go to buy BB Edit, and boom, BB Edit 11, the price shows up. It's $39.99. It's right there. Check it out, barebones.com. Our thanks to Barebones and BB Edit for sponsoring this episode. I also want to thank lynda.com at slash mgg for sponsoring this episode. That's the URL you go to to get 10 days of free training videos for you. This is a fantastic site. After that, it's only 25 bucks a month. That's where the plans start, and you get access to everything both during your 10 days free and just for 25 bucks a month. These courses are fantastic. Things like pro tools, 12 essential training, right? With sky Lewin. This is a 10 hour course that they've produced just for you. And you get to stop it and start it and rewind and check the notes, everything. It's all perfect. But then they've got things like, are you a photographer? Maybe you want to learn uh photography from people like ben long or photos they have a a, a course called photos for os 10 essential training with derek story if there is anyone out there that is like the authority on this stuff it's derek story he's the man when it comes to this stuff pixel playground with Burt monroy these are rock stars that they get to do these training videos just for you super well produced brilliant stuff totally easy and there's Thousands, literally thousands of videos available at Lynda. Every time I go in here to look, to tell you about Lynda, I'm finding courses that are brand new, new stuff. It's just constant. You got to check it out. Lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G. That's where you go to get 10 days of this for free. And then after that, plans start at 25 bucks a month. And that really gets you everything. There's no catch. You just have it all. Check it out lynda.com slash mgg our thanks to Linda for sponsoring this episode all right and now i think we should stick with the upgrade stuff here john because it gets interesting and it's time you know uh kevin writes that he has a mid 2011 20 inch 27 inch imac sorry with a hard drive that is showing signs of going bad he's got periodic clicking freezes followed by kernel panics it says, Apple disk utility and Onyx say the drive is okay, but he's been around drives long enough. He he's, he doesn't trust it anymore. And I, that's smart. He says, I have backups of my machine, so no worries there. Kevin continues, I'm thinking about proactively replacing the drive as I'd like to get several more years out of this machine. I already have access to both a 120 gig SSD and my choice of one or two terabyte hard drives. So I was thinking about buying iFixit's dual drive hard kit for 50 bucks, um, And following the instructions to mount the SSD behind the optical drive and then replace the hard drive so that I would have an SSD, a hard drive and the optical drive with a brand new SSD and hard drive in the machine. I would probably be unable to resist the temptation to set them up as a fusion drive. I believe I recall that in more than one past episode of the podcast, Dave's talked about replacing the parts on the iMac. I've asked some of my friends and some say go for it. Uh, It's more intimidating than difficult, while others say it's worth paying someone else. He says, of course, another possibility is attaching the SSD and or hard drive to the Mac, the iMac externally. But since it's only got USB 2, that would be slower than I'd like. And Thunderbolt adapters and or drives are pricey, especially since I already have the SSD and hard drive and would only be out for the kit. And he says he actually wound up going with the Otherworld computing kit. We got a little follow up uh, from him. So. Yeah. Um, my, my thoughts on this, um, if it were my machine, I'd be tempted to put both drives in and go the, the fusion drive route. Um, equally though, I'd be tempted to put the SSD into boot from, but I'd probably go with a larger SSD but you have them already. And I get that, right. But you know, a one hundred and twenty gig SSD, listen, it's bigger than the one that Apple is putting in some of their fusion drive machines right now. But, uh, but you know, it's certainly big enough to, to do a fusion drive with, and people have had good luck with the fusion drives, but with the price of SSDs, the fact that you don't want to be cracking this thing open all the time, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'd certainly look and price out some larger SSDs and, and possibly go that route. Opening up the machine, I like what uh, the way you described what your friend said that it's more intimidating than difficult. That's true, but I will share a piece of advice from longtime listener Dave Cook here, who unfortunately uh, had a bad experience. He had seen somewhere you know, with these iMacs, you know you've got to take the glass off the front. I've always followed and I've always done this following instructions, and thankfully, I guess i've uh, the only instructions I've seen are that you put two suction cups on the screen, one in, you know, kind of opposite corners from each other. You put the screen down on, you put the iMac down on its back so the screen is face up, and you just lift straight up. That's worked very well for me. Uh, Unfortunately, Dave wrote in that he had found some instructions that said to put like a a, a something in the edge to kind of lift the machine up, and he did that and then needed to get a better angle on the machine and wound up putting too much pressure on whatever you had put in the edge and cracked the screen. Uh, obviously that's, that's not the desired outcome. So get the suction cups and use the suction cups. They work well. Um, I typically leave the, the screen, you know, I, 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 I create like another towel. I put a towel down uh, before I pull the screen off and, 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 you know, with the 27 inch iMac, you might need two towels. I don't, you know, it depends on how you lay it all out but I lift it off and I put it down on the towel and then I make sure that it's not somewhere where I'm going to randomly like put things on the screen because obviously you don't want to do that because it'll either scratch or crack it. But uh, but yeah, it's not difficult getting in there once you pull the screen off um, and pulling the screen off is easy. But you know, w- once you get through that, it's really a, a simple kind of thing to dig into these. It's not, it's not too bad at all. We've done it many, many times. Both my kids have helped me. My daughter actually really likes it. She's a total pro digging in. So yeah, but the fusion drive with 120, you know, if you got a two terabyte hard drive and 120 gig
0: SSD, I got fusion drive. What would you do, John? Hmm. The first thing I would do. Well, I like uh, out of technical curiosity. So I've done this in the past. Uh, actually, I've proactively uh, replaced the uh, hard drive in my TiVo more than once when I uh, suspected it was failing. Sure. And like most devices, um the thing is the TiVo actually has a, a secret handshake where you can run uh drive diagnostics. I don't know why it doesn't do it automatically, or maybe the, the latest one does. I'm still stubbornly holding on to my TiVo series three, which they're, they're I starting to you, take away more and more features. I thought you bought a Romeo. Eh, I was considering it. They, they, oh. they roll out, they actually, they, they keep rolling out, uh, refurbished Romeo deals yeah. with, with Lifetime. I, I just, uh, Oh, okay. Cause,
1: because I well, next I was going to say this at the end of the show, but next week we're going to talk about TiVos and I thought we would compare your new Romeo to the bolt that I'm testing, uh, because I just finally got the bolt set up yesterday. So I'm not quite ready to talk about it. Uh, you know, I don't, I want to have some experience with it before we, before we talk about it in the show, but, um, but okay, well. You you've done some research on the Romeo, so I you know, I wanna I wanna compare these two because it's weird what TiVo has done with their their product line. It's it's like weirdly bifurcated. The the Bolt and the Romeo each have things that are better than the other. But we'll we'll talk about it because it gets really cool with what you can do with iOS now with those devices. So we'll we'll talk.
0: But that's that's next. And episode. it's becoming less cool. Because, for example, I used to be able to go online and log in my TiVo and uh, and schedule things. Yeah, uh, they removed that ability, at least for the Series Three. Oh, I can still do it with the
1: Premiere, right? They're starting yeah. to,
0: to to pull features away to really convince you. You know, hey, John, you know, get off of the, it's time. the Series Three, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's weird. Romeo we have- is the baseline. I think the Romeo is now the basic unit if, if you expect to, to get any sort of a yeah. advanced yeah. functionality. Well, t- wait,
1: let, let's defer this. I, I don't yes. want to get too deep here because we're going to do this next week. So I don't want to do it two weeks in a row.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the only thing I would do out of technical curiosity, um, similar to what I did on the TiVo, is I actually ran a smart diagnostic and then it came up and said, oh, yeah, this drive is, is starting to go. But you may want to, on that drive, just determine uh, what's causing the problem here is that you can run and I'm going to plug this one to it. So I use, I still use something called smart reporter. Now smart reporter is nice because it lets you run uh, kind of an extended uh, smart report in that the drive keeps track of all sorts of, you know, terrible things that happens to it. And, and it keeps a running total of, of the bad things that are happening. And you can access that either through something like smart reporter, or they actually have a website where you can go directly. So he uses actually a, a, a third party uh, library to do this. And if you go to www.smartmontools.org, uh, you can access, uh, this library. And I think you can probably get it through a package manager too. Oh, uh, um, cool. But I'm with you. Yeah. to Proactively replace it. Um, my my Tivo Premier
1: needs a new drive too. it's been really flaky lately but i've been since i set up the bolt yesterday i've just been blasting over my network all the stuff that's on it over so even once i have to send the bolt back i, I i'll i'll be able to wipe out my original Tivo and
0: you know and i be you know you should try i uh, there's a page that tells you how to get into the I, know, I testing
1: will. page yeah i wanted to get data and I'm sure off it's it before report. i started
0: testing things <laughs> i was i was getting nervous. uh good idea yeah good idea because mine actually the, well the symptom where I, I thought it was the drive going is that the the unit would just randomly restart it's like oh that's interesting yeah <laughs> why'd you do that while i was watching you know recorded content that's because bad. i guess it came on a bad block but um i guess i'm with you um cool as to what to do on that machine here yeah. just be watch sharp edges that's that's my only caution i i helped uh our pal Duffy, um, upgrade the drive in, in a iMac at one point. Yeah. And, uh, did you get, did you get cut? Uh, if I wasn't careful, yeah. I yeah. Mean, there's oh yeah. Sharp metal edge and a yeah. sharp glass edge. When yeah. you, when you pull the uh, screen out, just, uh, just watch it. Cause mm-hmm. I, I know people that have, uh, have cut themselves. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I, I will share my, uh, tip again, because we're talking about taking apart a computer, go to, I fix it, print out their instructions And yes, you want to have them printed so that you're not relying on something electronic to continue displaying them. And the benefit when you print them is if you have a roll of scotch tape handy, you can take the screws from each step and tape them to the page upon which they matter. And then you just, you know, fold through all your pages and when you're going backwards through to put it back together, because that's how I fix it, the instructions work. They don't give you the put it back together instructions. They just say, now go from the end forward. You have your screws at exactly the right time and you never screw it up. Ha <laughs> ha. No pun intended. So listener John writes, he said, I've been a user of Handbrake for a very long time archiving my DVDs. I would like to do the same for my Blu-rays. I heard you guys mention before on the show, is it as easy as just buying a USB Blu ray drive and going through the same handbrake routine? I've heard that the Mac will not play Blu ray back natively, but my usage would be Overplex or Apple TV. Uh, yeah, and actually, once you've ripped the file, uh, then as long as you rip it into a format that um, a Mac will play, your Mac will play it. However, uh, it's not quite as simple as getting a USB Blu-ray drive and plugging it in and just magically having it work with handbrake. There is one more thing you need to do. And that I use make MKV typically for this. There's other programs and, and actually I've tested a lot of them. Um the the stuff from the folks at DigiArty works really well, believe it or not. Um, or maybe you would believe it. But that yeah, I um so I like that I like the Mac X DVD Ripper Pro. Uh, there's also, you can also do it with making, make MKV. If you like handbrake and you're comfortable with it, g- get, go get, make MKV. I'll put a link in the towers or in the towers. I don't know why I keep calling it that. We call our chat room for, uh, for TMO. Uh, we call it the TMO towers, but I don't know why I'm calling it. I'll put a link in the show notes. And of course, in our chat room to, uh, to the, to an article I wrote actually a couple of years ago about doing exactly this. And it talks through getting make MKV. And uh, and how to make it work so that there's a library that comes with make MKV and you can link it together in a way that handbrake will just natively read from a Blu-ray and rip it directly. It works in probably 90 percent of the discs that I've tried. And if it doesn't, then you can just rip the disc with make MKV to an MKV file and then you can convert that with handbrake. Or if you want to get really, really geeky, you can be like me. And uh, you can, what I do is I rip the Blu-ray with make MKV that makes a lossless, effectively a lossless version of the data on the Blu-ray. And then I, it's using handbrake, but I use uh, Don Melton, formal, former Apple Safari engineer, crazy movie guy likes to have movies that are approximately the same quality as iTunes. And you can do all this with handbrake, but Don has figured out all the scripts and there's depending on how the movie's set up, there's different ways you want to use handbrake to do it. Don has automated that process and he's got some scripts that that you can use. I'll put a link in the show notes to those. You've got to use them from the terminal. There's no GUI for it. It uses handbrake from the CLI and you need brew or some other package manager to install all the kind of related things. But the movies that it makes have great sound. They put the subtitles in perfectly it's beautiful quality, just like iTunes, which yes, is compressed, but not overly, not overly. So, so, um, but yeah, yeah, you can totally do it. It's fun. I, I say it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. But if you just want to do it with handbrake in the GUI, you can do that too.
0: All right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a, I got a Blu-ray player. I don't have a, uh, drive for, uh, maybe I should.
1: So here's the thing, John. Because
0: yeah, I, I assume Blu-ray has the same copy protection silliness that DVDs do similar. Yes. Yeah, it, yeah. Okay. So you can't just copy the video file off of it.
1: Okay. No, no, no. But, um, in that article that I've linked to, I have a link to the Blu-ray reader that I use, which is available, still available at Amazon. Um, I think it's 43 bucks and, uh, yeah, forty-three fifty. So I'll put i I'll put that link separately in the, in the show notes as well. It's, um, It works great. I've had it for years and ripped countless movies with it. And it, you know, it just works. So um,
0: cheap and worth it. Actually, I wonder... Actually, more than worth it. You know what? I wonder if I can hook up my... The one I have in in my house that I use to to watch them. I wonder if I can hook that up to the computer. I may have to build an interface. I don't think it has Mm. an interface on it.
1: (laughs) Huh. Yeah, right. There's... Right. If you can, yeah, build an interface. I wonder... I wonder if, a, like, a Raspberry Pi would be the the easiest way to kind of, you know, get to the middle of that. I don't know. I don't know. Do you have I mean, a Raspberry Pi yet?
0: Uh, no, I know, I know what they are. Yeah, it's a little, uh, it's a little, little, little computer, right? Right. Do all yeah. sorts of projects. It yeah. runs, uh, what, Linux, I guess?
1: Yeah, well, it runs whatever you want it to run, but yeah, it Linux is what most people put on them. But, I mean, you you can get them cheap. I mean, it's, you know, it's like whatever somewhere between like 20 and 50 bucks and you can do all kinds of cool stuff. You got it. I'm sure sh- I'm shocked. You don't have one to tinker with. It seems like perfect, but for reading Blu-rays on your Mac, forty three fifty Amazon prime,
0: you'll have it before Christmas. You're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. But what, uh, what, yeah. So someone said, just spend the $43, John. I'm That's like, right. Come on, man. If I can save $43, and, and get a little project going, I'm going to get a little project That's true. going. I'm with you on that. Yeah. The project, it's just, it's just curiosity. It. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if the one that I have, which is a, it's a Sylvania, which is actually made, it's not really Sylvania or, or someone else makes it. Yeah. I, I forget but when I upgraded the, uh, the firmware one time, you know, I actually found out the real, uh, maker of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I wonder if there's like a USB or other interface on, on the circuit board and I just have to, uh, you know, maybe get a cable or something. Oh, you're right.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, like, like I had to do with my, my, uh, routers when I, you know, put a bad build of a firmware on or something and they're totally bricked. Uh, most routers, believe it or not, I haven't tried this with the Apple ones, of course, but, uh, most third party routers and certainly the Buffalo ones that I have, have, a like a, a, jumper block on them with four pins that is a serial port, but there's no oh, port tag. Well, yeah. And so exactly. So I have a, um, uh, a You know, a, a USB to serial adapter that I bought on Amazon for, I don't know, 10 bucks or something. And I use OS 10 screen to, uh, you know, in the terminal to, to connect to it. And I can talk to my router over a serial connection and get it back to life um, every time. Which is, uh, it's fun. I had to make notes because I only have to do it like once every six months. And it's like, oh yeah, which, because if you put the wrong cable in the wrong spot, you'll send five volts to the wrong place and blow it up. So you got to make sure you don't do that. But, uh, but it works really well. It's got like send, receive, ground, and, and power, I guess, is the four, the four ports on
0: it. So it's fun. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure it's JTAG. That's it. Yeah. Pretty, that's right. That's pretty much a standard for, uh, interfacing to, uh, to circuit boards.
1: Yeah. No, that that's totally what it's called. Simulators, Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah. Joint test action group is what JTAG stands for. Nice. Yeah. I didn't know until just now when I was searching for it. Hey, um, while we're at it, uh, and I'm enjoying my caffeine today. I like these morning shows when, uh, when I'm allowed to have caffeine. <laughs> it's good. Uh, it's not often though. Uh, Peter has a related tip here. He said, uh, I'm a new listener, really enjoying your show. I've been ripping my Lord of the Rings movies to put them on my Plex. The DVD versions of these are the extended versions, So each movie is on two discs. When I finish ripping, I end up with two M4V files for each movie, which is exactly what you get. If you use the, any of the permutations of the previous tip we discussed, uh, he says, And this is where it gets brilliant. I never thought to do this. You Unix geeks out there are either going to know this or you're going to go, whoa, Um, there's a cat command in the terminal that is used to uh, basically just take the contents of a file and either display it on the screen or send it out to another file or a a device or whatever you want. And he says, I've used the cat command in the terminal to join two text files in the past. And I wondered if it would work for m 4 v files. It did. So he says you do cat space, you know, movie file part one dot m4v space, movie file part two dot m4v space, and then the greater than sign, which says take the output of the previous stuff and dump it into whatever's next. And after the greater than sign, he says, you know, movie file whole dot m4v and done. It just works. I never knew. I mean, this is it must just be something about the m4v standard that lets. The the you know the the things that play it back. He says Plex doesn't have a problem with it. Apple TV doesn't have a problem with it. QuickTime doesn't have a problem. It just plays them, and the movies just roll right together. It's brilliant. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it that it worked so simple. Cat is probably older than both of us, John. Um, certainly, if it's not, it's close. So I love it. Yeah, it's interesting.
0: I, I've only used it, and I think most to to you know display a file uh on the screen you know cat and then the file and then it, it throws it to standard output yeah right yeah, i was i was scratching my head because uh, you know I, uh, based on that experience my conclusion would be oh well it only really deals with text right exactly no it deals with whatever you want and i guess the m4v you know and I, I i'm curious you know i bet you it would work probably with some other you know if, whoever came up with the uh file format um for things like uh I'm, I'm curious if it would work with mp3s or AIFS or some audio files too oh yeah it would depend i mean now that i'm thinking you know if you're designing uh so what m4v must have is that each you know every now and then it has you know uh metadata you know telling the player about the the file and it doesn't have to be right you know at the beginning it doesn't all have to be at the beginning correct yeah I think some file formats would, it would fail on that because you, you
1: well, that's what yeah, I figured. It's a container, it's right? And for. and that's what M4V is, is it's a container. So it's got a beginning, a middle and an end. And I guess, like you said, yeah, whoever wrote the codec said, and it's okay if there's another container here, just play it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I want to try it with an MP3. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. Or even graphics. I'm, I'm wondering if you tried it with a Ooh. image file, if it would smash them together, or, or what you'd get. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, because they're all Maybe containers in that together. sense,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I'll have to try it with some some photos or something. As Maybe Alex it just smashes them together, or, or or it's just a mess. As Alex in our
1: cat room says, in our cat room, <laughs> cat room in our chat not room, a cat room says, uh, cat the stitcher. Yep. There it is. I like it. And it does. It stitches things together. Um, unceremoniously too. Just works. Um,
0: We should have a cat room.
1: We should. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, we're on to geeky tips. So let's wrap up the show with uh, at least one more, maybe two. Robert uh, actually has a really good geeky tip for us. Um, he, uh, writes, I will find it here. I swear I'll find it. He says, uh, I still have to use a PC occasionally and I've set up, uh, a virtualized environment using Oracle's virtual box on my Macs. Since I have several Macs, I like to be able to remotely log into my virtual, uh, PC from one of my other Macs. For pro- cross platform remote access, I use TeamViewer normally, but for PCs, I, u- I prefer using Microsoft's RDP protocol based on tools like Microsoft's remote or third party RDP clients because Microsoft's RDP protocol is very fast and the most native way to connect to Windows machines. This is especially useful for logging in from iOS to a remote PC, either real or virtual. I found TeamViewer and other solutions to be sometimes flaky or slow. And I agree, Microsoft's RDP on iOS is awesome. Um, one of the bummers of using virtual PCs is dealing with all the licensing issues. I had used one of my licenses to upgrade from Windows 7 to Windows 10, so I have a fully licensed Windows 10 virtual machine in my uh, VirtualBox PC. But unfortunately, remote desktop capability is not supported in Windows Home Edition. You have to upgrade to Windows Pro for 99 bucks. Uh, Just to clarify, the server portion of RDP is not included in Windows Home. The client is there, so you can reach out to other remote PCs, but you cannot connect back to a home PC uh, without upgrading it to Pro. He says, but I found an awesome solution. VirtualBox extensions, which are also free. So VirtualBox is free. VirtualBox extensions are free. Include a virtual RDP server in the VirtualBox host. So you can remotely connect to VirtualBox using RDP, no matter what version or even type of OS, is running the trick is that you set up your rdp client to connect to the ip address of the mac not the ip of the the virtualized box and uh there he goes he said i don't know if parallels or vmware has this capability they kind of do with parallels access and and that sort of thing but i don't think like this so very cool i had no idea i gotta dig more into VirtualBox. i um you recommend it to me all the all the time john and because i have parallels and vmware i just haven't dug into them but uh but it seems like this is interesting. I like it. It's good stuff.
0: And they still yep, and and it's still there. I, I remember uh using a, a Mac in the in the workplace, which was mostly uh uh pc based, but we were all very happy when Microsoft said, "Oh, well, here's a Mac version of remote desktop connection." Yeah, and they still have it. Yes. I they still do haven't installed my machine. And, and, I haven't had to use it for a while because I, I don't really have much of a need these days to connect to Windows servers, but uh but I used to, but I still have it. Just yeah.
1: And it works on iOS, they have, or they have an iOS client as well that works really well. Oh. I've,
0: yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. Probably wouldn't be too much fun on the f- iPhone though. I've done it. Probably okay on the iPad. Yeah, well, you know, I'm <laughs> oh, sure it, it'll work. It would just be puny.
1: <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons I really like the 6S is for remote access to things. Uh, I regularly use the success to use like, like I go VNC back to my Mac using like screens, the iOS app called screens. And I'm able to control my Mac just fine with it. It, it works well. One time, actually one time recently I was doing something in iTunes. Oh, I got all excited when, when Apple up the limit from 25,000 tracks to hundred thousand tracks for iCloud music library and iTunes match that I wanted to, uh, we were on our way to ho- to a hockey game. Lisa was driving. And so I logged in with screens cause I wanted to tell it to update. Cause I had a ton of files that it wouldn't update uh, with the 25,000 song limit. And, and it did, I got the, the update started. And by the time we got back, everything was good. And Apple music was happy, which makes my Sonos happy now. And it's all like life is blissful with Apple music. It really, really is. But um, the next day I went into my office and actually I went to get in my car and which is in the garage right next to my office. And my son was like, Hey, you know, there's, there's music playing in your office. In fact, it was playing here last night when, when I got back from the hockey game and I thought, Oh yeah, I must've accidentally like tapped the play button or double tapped the file. And it just started playing files and it played music all night, but you know, things could be worse. So one last geeky tip, I think is what we have time for John. And this comes from Mark. He says, in a recent episode, you had a discussion about tools for manipulating image uh, EXIF metadata. There is one tool you didn't mention. It's the ultimate geek tool. It's a Perl library called EXIF tool. It's available online. He gave us a link. Uh, I'll not provide information about using the tool. Geeks with Perl skills will know. Others need to study and practice. He says, be careful. Perl is like a table saw. It can help build beautiful furniture. Or cut off your fingers in a careless moment. <laughs> so we'll put a link to EXIF tool out there. Thanks
0: for sharing that, Mark. That's, Fun. Uh, sounds sounds just like C. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, being a C programmer, the, the, the nice thing, the, the one thing I like about C is that you can do almost anything you want. Yeah. Including, you know, screwing around with hardware. Sure. The bad news about C is it'll let you do it because it assumes you know what you're doing. So, right. Yeah, similar to. <laughs> right.
1: I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm if wondering, brew does does homebrew have exif tool? It does. Yep. So you could do. Well, I'm looking right. Brew install exif tool. You're good to go.
0: There it is. Okay, and I, I'm looking in Fink, and and I see a few references. Um, yeah, here's one: image dash exif tool dash pm. Oh, okay. So that's the the Perl All right. Yeah,
1: that's it. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. I'm trying to think, do we have, is there anything else? Yeah. You know what? We've got one more geeky tip and we're right here. We're we're going to go ahead and do it. Ernie, uh, this is where it gets really geeky, but, but fun. He says, I know you guys run cr- CrashPlan plan on your Synology NAS units. Uh, I've been using the Synology packages that are available from a third party, which I think you use too. And that's true. That's what I use for CrashPlan." plan. He says lately though, the crash plan version has been changing so much that it's been broken more often than it's working because the updates are a little bit painful. Um, The folks that create the package have done a heroic job keeping it up to date, but I figured there must be a better way. I stumbled across Docker, which is a thing that's new in, uh, in Synology's disk station manager five, which is available for everybody. Although you need to have a fast enough CPU to use Docker. Um, And they, he says, "I found a person who had created created a Docker container for crash plane. Docker essentially lets you run virtual installations of an OS or apps or both on your disk station that you access remotely. So this gets very, very cool. Uh, and he he sent us a link which we'll put in the show notes. He says it works on uh, relatively decent Intel hardware. He says he has a ds four twelve plus, which is a three year old almost four year old unit. With only two gigs of RAM, and it's been running for a few weeks, just great. The recent update of CrashPlan 4.5 went flawlessly, and I didn't have to do a thing. It just happened. So this is essentially running CrashPlan inside a a Windows environment, I believe. Or maybe it's a Unix environment. It could be either um, on on Synology, but it's inside a container. It's a virtual environment. That's what these Docker things are, is they're built to be app-specific. So very cool stuff. He says the Docker instance did require a little command line work and it also required installing the Docker package, but that's available inside Synology. So we'll put the link and the instructions, probably a better way to do crash plan on your disk station than, than the previous way. So thank you for that fun stuff.
0: I like it. It's uh, even more fun stuff, Dave. What's that? Um, I haven't, uh, I had a need to, uh, get a, uh, Synology uh, package or I'm trying to, I was looking for a package for Synology and it wasn't available in their standard list of packages. Yeah. That, which is and what the crash plan started, thing I
1: use is you have to install a third party library or whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, so I have a couple listed here. I'll have to find some more. There, there are good sources, third party sources. And um, so if you go on your Synology package center and then community, they then have a place where you can, uh you basically give it a url yeah for a, a third party and actually i'll put a the link one to that the- i have here that seems to have the most is packages.sino that's right yeah there was one where i found a lot but there, there are a whole bunch of others that that one from what i can tell seems to have uh the most that are uh yeah it's kind of nice that synology also you know opens that up to, to make totally. it easy for third parties to uh make their uh make their software available
1: i'll share i'll Great share platform.
0: a screenshot to my links to, to all the ones that i use. um oh i only got two okay yeah. Well, yeah that'd be nice to yeah get a good list because yeah some of them are were kind of hard to find they they don't advertise well
1: yep yep hopefully i'm not divulging anything i shouldn't but i don't think i am hopefully i'm, I'm not like <laughs> divulging my you know not, not necessarily my home ip but you know uh, anyway, I'll put it in the show notes. I know, it's there. I know your home IP. I know. It's not that big of a deal. We're pretty secured here. But but security by obscurity is even better.
0: Yeah. If
1: people don't know you're there. Well, I, I,
0: they don't try to hack you. Yeah. Oh, I suppose you could... Uh, did I do this? I think I turned this off on my router. You, you can make your router not respond to pings. Oh, yeah. Which makes it less likely for... People to tell that you're there. Not impossible. It's right. Just, it, it, it'll discourage. I I think I did a security scan and it said, oh, well, you know, if you if you if you change this, then people won't be able to find you as easily. And I'm like, oh, all right, that's nice. Uh, all right.
1: Well, let's see. <laughs> the People in the chat room are making me laugh, and I'm not going to talk about it. Um as I said earlier, feedback at MacGeekab.com is the address that you can use to email us whatever you like quick tips please send them in we would love to hear your quick tips the things that you do and it's hard i I mean we've been doing this show 10 years and there's things that i've been doing for more than 10 years that we have yet to share in the show because they're just so automatic so a little mindfulness helps the community in its entirety so um if if you do come across something And oftentimes these things come to me when somebody's looking over my shoulder and I do something. They're like, hey, what was that? Like, oh, yeah. Like, you know, like last week, the iOS search thing. It was like, oh, dude, I've been doing this since iOS, you know, since I started using it. And they're like, yep, had no idea. So anyway,
0: that's the address. You know what, Dave? What's that? I'm going to give you another address, Dave. And you know what it is? It's feedback at MacGear.com.
1: Or premium at macgeekab.com. If you are a premium listener, we would, uh, we really much, really appreciate uh, your support and we do answer your questions first. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a premium supporter here, macgeekab.com is the place to look. We would love iTunes comments from you. So just go to iTunes and, uh, and, and leave us a comment. It can be good, it can be bad, it can be indifferent. We'd love, to have your comments we love to get them from all over the world and the good news is we actually can see your comments from all over the world we use a a service called my podcast reviews that makes it really easy for us to to see things in itunes stores that are not our own so please do if you no matter where you are we would love to have a review from you on itunes
0: so thank you for even what i saw Uh, the other day what'd you say and thank you to all our listeners but yeah i was looking through itunes the other day i think well one of our colleagues um i think ken our friend ken um ken ray had a um, uh said hey look I, I appeared on this this itunes list and i'm like oh that's interesting let me see where mac geek app is and we actually briefly i don't think we're there anymore mm. but uh we were in the what's hot section of hey, no software kidding. how to we that, were number one it was like that's wow. awesome that's awesome i love it and i think i saw mac power users you know our, our friends uh David and uh, Katie. Katie. Yeah, yeah, they were up there too. Yeah, awesome. all the cool kids were there. But it was, it was. The, I'm, I'm not sure what caused this to, to appear there. Uh, but part of it is, uh, it's you, you listening and you telling us, and it, it's you, not yeah. you, and, and not that guy. No, no. and definitely not him. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
1: Two zero six 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 geek. If you want to leave us a voicemail, who would be the number? And John Geek is
0: four three three. Five.
1: I want to thank the folks at CashFly, dot com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And, of course, our wonderful sponsors uh, who make all this possible. As we mentioned earlier, Harry's with coupon code SHAVE5OFF, Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com, Linda at L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G, Barebones Software at Barebones.com, the folks at Gazelle. Are fantastic. Check them out, gazelle.com. Of course, you mentioned a blog post from iAmazing. They're the makers, or DigiDNA, they're the makers of amazing. Coupon code MGG saves you 20% there. SmileSoftware.com, squarespace.com slash MGG. Folks, if you celebrate Christmas, please do have a Merry Christmas. If you don't, have a fantastic week regardless and uh, have a, have a wonderful, uh, it's, it's been great. We'll see, we'll talk to you again before the new year. So uh, we won't, we won't wish anything about that yet, but thank you for everything. It really is. Uh, it really is a wonderful thing. John, any advice? To, actually, I have, I have one piece of advice to share and then I'm looking to you for a piece of advice. We're recording this on Saturday, uh, tomorrow, Sunday, there's a big feature on uh, 60 Minutes about Apple that should be interesting for, uh, for those that are interested in that sort of thing. John, any advice from you?
0: The only advice I can give people, especially if you don't want to get any coal in your stocking, is don't get caught. May